Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose, and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. Ivan Flips Velez is a legendary b-boy, TV host and international breakdance judge. Known for his signature move, the prayer flip, which he performed in the hit movie You Got Served, Flips has appeared in 36 feature films and 17 major dance films, including Honey, Stomp the Yard, Step Up 3D and Battle of the Year. He has toured the world with top international music icons including Madonna, Missy Elliott, Spice Girls and LL Cool J. Flips is also the founder of Skills Methods Crew, one of the most elite b-boy crews in the world. Born and raised in Puerto Rico, Flips started his dancing and gymnastic training at an early age but didn't get into breaking until his family moved to Miami when he was in junior high school. He honed his skills and became known in breaking competitions as the guy that flipped, and thus his nickname, Flips, ignited. Never forgetting the childhood house fire he saved his family from, Flips created Footprints. The foundation gives back to underserved communities through dance education workshops that provide industry knowledge and clothing donations to its participants. I enjoyed every second with Flips, which was raw, emotional and uplifting all at the same time. And I hope you do too. Welcome Flips to the Ethical Evolution. Woo! What's up, y'all? <laughs> um, now, Flips, for those people who have been living under a rock and don't know who you are, can you go ahead and tell us who you are and what you do? Yes. My name is Ivan Flips Velez. I go by Flips. My birth name given to me by my mom was Omar. Um, I've been breaking. I've been in the industry breaking for 30 years. Oh, man. I have been from Puerto Rico to Chicago to Michigan to Florida uh, to L.A., to London, back to L.A. Uh, and New York even. But, uh, yeah, my story has taken me all over the place. I didn't even know English in the beginning. I was born in Puerto Rico, so um, Spanish is my first language. I'll go in and out of that every so mm -hmm. often. Um, 
But yeah, uh, if you've been living under a rock, oh man, I just finished um, last January. I finished my 36th movie, 36th feature film. I've been in 17 dance films. Um, I've done, oh wow, 87 television shows uh, on television. Uh, 11 world tours with major artists like the Spice Girls, LL Cool J, Missy Elliott, Janet Jackson, um, just to drop some names. Um, <laughs> I was on Oprah Winfrey. That was that's one of my biggest TV shows I was on. Um, I did a Super Bowl. I just did recently did a Super Bowl commercial with Snoop Dogg. So uh, I think I've done 49 commercials, national commercials. Um, and 42 music videos uh, from Bootylicious with Beyonce and Destiny's Child uh, to Ricky Martin uh, to Whitney Houston uh, back in the day. So, yeah, I've been around, <laughs> <laughs> as they say. Oh, Flips, I can just tell you and I are going to be besties um, after this because, oh, my God, I have so many questions for you. <laughs> I have answers. I have answers. <laughs> I'm excited. Um, just, just an aside joke for you. You know, um, me and my friends have this question. You know, when life gets hard, we go, "What would Oprah do?" So, mm. you know, <laughs> you've been there. <laughs> I have been there. Um, the cool thing about Oprah that mm. I must say, uh, I. When someone's in control of their environment, they're in control of their show, they have a script, but they're able to, to what we call freestyle or improv, and mm. they can get those types of guests on the show and give the audience gifts and, you know, get, get the show sponsored and reach out. And, you know, one, one weekend she's in Chicago and another weekend she's in Africa, you know, making, making the world a better place. Um, it was very surreal to be a part of the show but also we were um i was dancing for madonna and, and they wanted the dancers madonna's tour dancers there so we were gonna do what we normally choreographed but when i did the head spins in the show I sh i'll send you the link when i did the head spins she grabs my hand in front of the whole audience and she says, take a bow. You're incredible. That was incredible. So that wasn't scripted because we're waiting for Madonna to come out. <laughs> so it's like, it's not about me. It's about her. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want, I don't want to take any, any shine away and I don't want to get in trouble also because we've rehearsed it a certain way. And she's like, no, take a bow. So I take a bow and then I, I sit down right next to her and she just keeps looking at me and I look at her and it's all in, the, you know, it's just live. So it wasn't, it wasn't edited out. And I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Do you know I, that I like, uh, because I'm sitting down in a different level than she is. She's on the stage. I like hug her calf. Like I hug her leg and I say, thank you. And she pats my head. I just spun on my head. She rubs my head like I'm a little dog, you know, like, <laughs> like I'm a little toy on the side. And then she said, um, just to wrap it up, she said, you're incredible. She looks down at me and she's like, you're incredible. She was still in awe. And then she told the audience to give me one more round of applause. And then she brought me back on the show. She was so in awe of me doing the head spin. Um, and this was, I want to say 2003, uh, when we were doing the stuff with Madonna. So yeah, m my life was, it was such a trip. I was like, we're mm -hmm. here to open up for Madonna. So we're rehearsing. We're not even thinking she's going to talk to us because, you know, it's scripted. So, yeah, I had my moment, not even 15 seconds of fame. It was like 10 seconds of fame with Oprah. 
trying to steal Madonna's light. <laughs> I know. I was just like, oh my god, she's gonna she's gonna be upset because she's you know she's waiting on the side to come out. So oh. no, no, but everything went really well. It went really, really well, and she was super excited. And Madonna's oh my god, she treats her dancers really well, especially back then. Um, I haven't danced with her for for a while, so I don't know how it is nowadays, but. She, uh, she's another one. That's what I mean. Oprah and Madonna, when you think about they're at the top of their game and they're in total control all the time of like 360 degrees of their environment. So it was really uplifting. It's powerful to see a dancer know that Madonna was a dancer, you know, and Oprah used to get down, but you Mm. can make it to any level. Um, and I always say, see the invisible, do the impossible. Some people don't see, how these women are maneuvering and and you're, you're talking 20 plus years ago and they Mm. were already like, like running, running the game, you know? So Mm. yeah. And, and Madonna was always a visionary, wasn't she? Like, you know, back in the day, like that when Vogue came out, that was just like, it was life changing for culture. You know know what I love too about Madonna as well is, is okay. So nowadays you have the internet, before the internet, she would watch TV, she would read every newspaper, you know, and, and she would stay, like they say, with her finger on top of the pulse, mm-hmm. whether it's the streets or whether it's stocks and bonds or, you know, when she was with Guy Ritchie, like movies, mm-hmm. commercials, like where, where are the trends? Where's the fashion going? And that that's why she was a visionary. That's why you stay on top. You're constantly, like I, like I say, like you're, you're either in control or you're in the know of everything around you. You're able to tap in and tune in very quickly to what frequencies, like as the radio is changing and the world is changing, you're able to tap in. So, um, yeah, Mm -hmm. Madonna was definitely from, from, from yesterday's rehearsal to like tomorrow's show, she would change something if she had a vision or if she got inspiration or, you know, and um, yeah. that takes guts. I mean, it takes guts to do that because you're, you're so used to being like, no, the show works this way. And I want to sing the song this way. She'll change the songs in the set list and you got to remember the choreo and then you got to switch it to another part of the show. It's like calling an audible, but in a really cool way. <laughs> Madonna's awesome, man. These women are yeah. awesome. I mean, they run the world. It, it's crazy that Beyonce it, just now. came out with that song now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> now, been you know, enough about Madonna and Oprah. Um, uh-huh. we, we're here to talk about you. Um, now, for those people who are listening and and, and are not um, as hip with the culture as myself, flips, um, mm-hmm. and they don't know what breaking is, if we think back to the old school, like uh, back in the 80s, remember remember those DMC uh, film clips with, uh, you know, they had the piece of cardboard out and they're doing the, the break dancing and all that kind of stuff? That's what we're talking about here, aren't we? We're talking about these basically break dancing, right? Yes, it's called breaking. Most people know it as break dancing. And then the people that do it, like myself, are called B-boys and B-girls. So if you're a, hmm. a boy, right, you're called a B-boy. The B stands for break. You're a break boy. And um, uh, same for the B-girl. You're a break girl. Um, B-boying and B-girling breaking came from they would only dance when the record had the break. 
So it wasn't really lyrical. It was more like the breakdown of the record, right? And they would pull out mm-hmm. the the vocals and they're able to loop it. So if you had a 60 second solo, which would be like one third of a song, that would be kind of long. So what they would do, they would, they would keep looping the breaks. So each DJ had two vinyl records and they would mark them with either chalk or crayon. And they would have these like, pizza pie slices on their records so they know exactly where to turn it to so yeah breaking has been around since um early 70s it just it was uh what we call it was seen by uh the masses and it hit pop culture in the 80s uh with movies like beach street flash dance break in electric Mm -hmm. boogaloo yeah, it was. I mean, once the world saw what was going on in the underground, it was happening in clubs, it was happening in basements, it was definitely happening down there, you know, like in the underground mm-hmm. um, and in New York, which is really underground, all those underground spots. Um, and th- the cool part about it to me is I didn't know about the origins of breaking until I really got into breaking. So I watch a movie called Beat Street that my parents rented from Blockbuster. I think we still probably owed uh, uh, late fees on it because I kept it for way too <laughs> long. It. Yeah, so they're like 99 cents a day. And I'm like, I have to learn all the moves though. I can, we can't return it till I learn all the moves. But when I saw it, think about it. It was already 10 years in the making. It had already been happening in New York for 10 years. So um, I thought I had just you know, seen this, this gem of movement, which was, I love Bruce Lee. I love gymnastics. Um, I used to watch a diver called Greg Luganis. Um, and I used Mm -hmm. to watch Bruce Lee and I used to watch baseball. And I was like, this was the first time I was able to see something at a young age, obviously. And I, I want to do that, that embodies and encompasses everything I've wanted to do in sports in one dance form. That's crazy. They're like gymnasts, but then they also do battle moves like martial arts, you know, they get to defy their own laws of gravity. So I really took I I took to it. I feel like I fell in love with it and it fell in love with me early on. Um, And I can I can admit to that because I wasn't even focused on dating girls at the time. It was only breaking and getting good really fast because we we were um, we were put. We were put to do a talent show in high school. And if you know about like people's, you got to be cool in school, we could not do a bad job or we'll be the laughing stock of our high school, right? As you graduate, you got to go out with a bang. So we were like, no, we'll do the talent show. We're going to try to remix or redo like Beach Street. And we were like studying it. Who's going to be in the red team? Who's going to be in the blue team? Who's going to go out after who? But if it wasn't for that pressure of not being wanting to be laughed at in school, not wanting to get picked on or bullied, because if we were bad, you know, you could get this stigma of like, oh, yeah, those are those, 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 you know, the the dance fools over there. Um, And then and then when we dove into the culture, that's when we grew as dancers as dancers, as people, um, just to, to know that, uh, how can I say it in Europe to know when you find out in Europe, they're doing the same thing. They don't even speak English, you know, in Japan, they're doing mm. the same thing. And you're like, something has us connected. It's not language. Cause I just learned English and I can't even, 
you know, to Storm and uh, Niels Robritsky, Storm and, and Swift Rock were from Berlin, Germany. We couldn't even communicate. But because we break, we spoke the same language. Um, and ironically, mm-hmm. we could teach each other moves almost like through through like telekinesis or through like just studying each other and they're like no no you have to do your leg your leg you know they'll they'll like tap your leg and your leg has to go like this and then there's this common knowledge of understanding that's greater than language it's greater than music it's like oh my god we just connected halfway across the globe in in a way where no one you know and my dad was very skeptical like you're not gonna hop on a plane and go to i went to seoul south korea and Edinburgh, Scotland were like my mm. first stops at 17 years old. My dad is like, you're not, you're not going, no. And then we had to go get a passport and <laughs> he saw my offer. Like I was getting paid to do it straight out of high school. It was, it was really bizarre. I mean, my story, if, if, yeah, if, if we might not have time for the whole thing, but it's pretty nuts to be <laughs> like, I really fell in love with this. I did it every single day. Um, I put everything aside to do it. And then I made, I had an ultimatum with my dad. He, he wanted, he was, he worked at the VA hospital, the veterans association hospital. Um, and, uh, he was like, you're going to start by transporting cancer patients, um, at the Moffitt cancer center during summer, because he wanted me to, you know, he, he was already looking out for me to end up in, in the medical field. He was a registered nurse at the time. And before that he was a paramedic. And when I tell you that I'm like, no, I think I want to dance. He's like, wait, what? You're going to what? <laughs> no, no, you're going to go to school. You're going to go to college. You're going to do stuff. And for me, I was like, I'm already cool. I'm already making money. My name is around in the neighborhood as one of the champions. So it was like, how do I tell my dad that? And I was like, almost like a, like an in the closet break dancer. I was like, I was, I couldn't really tell him I'm really good at this and this is what I'm going to do because I wasn't sure if that, that would put food on the table. I know that getting a job with him at the hospital definitely would, but then that's 30 years of my life already planned out. And I, I just wanted to plan the next three months or the next three years of my life, not the next 30, you know? And uh, he believed in me. We took a pack that summer and I got a contract for universal studios in Florida and he couldn't believe it. So he got his friend who was a lawyer to look at the contract like an attorney. And he was like, no, this is legit. They have like a like a dance stunt uh, show going on at Islands of Adventure that they're opening up and they want your son as a participant, like as talent. And my dad is like, so are, are you going? I go, I go, yeah, I'll be close. It's Orlando. You know, it's still Florida. But it was tough to leave the house, you know, like as a teenager to leave the house just to try to pursue your dream when your parents are kind of thinking, I don't, they, not that they didn't think it was going to work out. They just were in doubt. What if it doesn't work out or what if he gets hurt or, you know, there was doubt. There wasn't doubt that I would make it or not. They saw that I was good. Oh, there was a jam. There was a break dancing competition that I snuck out to. Oh man. And we got a flat tire. We took my dad's car and we got a flat tire and they went, they wanted to see this world that we bragged about, that we were so, we were like little celeb, mini celebrities in. And it's the club scene, you know, people are smoking uh, 
smoking and drinking and trying to party and have a good time. And we show up and we're the dancers. We're not drinking. We're not smoking. We're not hooking up with girls. Um, so we're very much the misfits, but we show up like hip hop. We showed up shell toes, almost like rappers. We look like yeah. rappers <laughs> hats to the side, you know, like we were yeah. cool. So my parents were like, we're going to go to this so-called hip hop world you guys live in. And, you know, cause they, they did not trust it at all. You guys come home from the club smelling like smoke. And sometimes to be super honest, if somebody spilled beer or like somebody took a shot and they spilled some of it on the ground, we're, we're unfortunately the ones dancing on it. So we smell like a club when we get home. It's like, we smell gross, mm. even if we didn't touch it, you know, but that one time I won 500 mm. bucks, right. I won the breakdancing competition. Um, in the envelope was like hundred dollar bills, but God knows where they came from. So my dad was like, where'd you get this? You know, I was like, I won, I won first place. And it, it, it was like raggedy money. It looked like <laughs> it was, I don't know where it came from. It was just like brittle bills and just like, oh my God, you guys did not get this in the bank. <laughs> but um, yeah, he kind of started to see, <laughs> he started to see like, there's something here. We don't understand it really. But we're going to go check it out because our son is like engulfed in this world. And they went and I won. And man, it was like the coolest thing to be like, see, I told you so. It's cool, right? But then my dad coming from the streets, he knew there was like shady characters, maybe like the people mm -hmm. that ran the club or, you know, like the bar in the back was VIP and people were acting up. So my dad was just giving me like the 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 rundown of like, Hey, I know this is like a street culture, but just be careful. There's some really funny characters in these clubs. So don't really like if the gym is at the club and you got to go and win and then leave. But also he was noticing that the, where the money was coming from there, that could also be attached to something negative. So if I'm given mm -hmm. $500 in cash and somebody sees that, the moment I walk out alone to my car, I could get mugged. Like those types of things, my dad really put me on game with stuff like that. So um, it was great. It was great to have my parents see, you see, I'm good, right? I'm good. Like, you know, I'm winning. Maybe there's something here. So my dad was able to kind of like, we made ourselves that promise. If you go... And, you know, it doesn't work out for you. And they, we hopped in a, in a, in a U-Haul and they helped me move to Orlando. And man, my dreams just started taking off. And that guy was there. The guy that offered me the job at Universal as a professional performer was at the competition and saw that I'd want that I had won. So he had bragging rights that he has the best break dancer in town. You're like, I got the best b-boy in town, man. This guy beat everybody, you know. He could do head spins forever. Like that was like my gag, you know. And yeah, my name was Flip. So every time I would come out, I would try to present like almost like Michael Jackson. I wanted to come out with a new move every time. Or like my moonwalk, you know, my my moonwalk was the head spin, like to def my move to defy gravity mm -hmm. and whatnot. So, yeah, it really took a life of its own. And and like you said in the beginning, how you like to go with the flow. I felt something happening larger than me, but I was able to be a part of it, if that makes sense. I was like mm -hmm. a vessel in a way. I was given raw talent really early. I could pick things up really quickly. And I know how to entertain rather than like 
dance and battle against someone. I knew how to entertain to get the crowd on my side and gain enough points to get the judges on my side and then get in your head enough to get you to, you know, kind of like let me beat you in a way. And uh, yeah, it, it, it sparked like a really great career for me and I'm celebrating 30 years now doing it. I love it. <laughs> in a nutshell, that's, that's my incredible. life. <laughs> like, you know, you, it sounds like there should be a movie about you. There's probably one in production if we know anything, but um, I think, um, you know, it's just incredible how far you've come in, in your career already. But, you know, when, when you were younger, um, tell us about the house fire. Oh yeah. Okay. So we were coming from Puerto Rico and we knew our life was changing. My dad accepted a job. Um, he took a, like a transfer, but it was like a career transfer. It was like a long time deal because you're leaving Puerto Rico to go uh, sign up at the VA. Um, what ended up happening, it, and if I do have newspaper clippings, but they don't have all the details. The details uh, in specific were given to my mom. Um, there was, so in Florida, it, it, when it gets, it's really humid in Florida. When it gets really cold and uh, people put their heaters on in the house, there's condensation, almost like the house starts to sweat. So internally, mm -hmm. inside the walls, which is uh, sheetrock, once that gets a little bit wet or damp, it, it can like, it's not as protective as it's, as it's supposed to be. It, it gets like, uh, um, what's the word? I mean, put, put it to you this way. The, the condensation, once it got to the outlets and the sweat or the, or the, the, you know, the water, the precipitation got to the outlets, nothing can touch an outlet. I mean, if, even if you put a pin in an outlet, you get zapped. So once the water got mm. into the outlet, it caused like sparks, which caused the electrical fire rather than a regular fire from a lighter, which comes from heat. Right. Mm. So when I woke up and I looked, I couldn't breathe, first of all, um, and it, it, it was, I don't know if I was panicking, but I was definitely like choking. So when I got up, the trippy part was the wall was, um, there was a blue flame. It wasn't red. It wasn't like a red fire flame. It was like mm. blue. And already it looked weird because it, it, it had like, a, it was like crawling up the wall, I guess is, is a good way to say it instead of a red flame. And I'm looking like, am I tripping? I'm a little kid. I'm 10 years old. And I'm like, that's not like a special effect. That's blue fire. Like, what the hell is that? Um, super hot. My brother was coughing. We shared the same room, but his crib was on the side in the corner away from the window. And I opened the door. And I think that was the first mistake was when I opened the door, there was more air that came in, which was really cold in the hallway. Um, our room was warm. And then I hear, and like crackling and I've I feel like I fed the fire even more by opening the door to go get my mom I'm shaking my mom she's in another room past the hallway she doesn't smell anything she doesn't feel the heat nothing it's all happening in my room and I'm like mom wake up wake up in Spanish you know um wake mm -hmm. up my room is burning and she looks at me because she woke up in panic she looks at me like I was nuts go back to your room. You're having a nightmare. Una pesadilla is a nightmare. You're having a nightmare. Go back to your room. But she noticed that I was shaking. I was shaking and I was like in cold sweats, panicking. And I was like, I tried to get my brother out, but I can't lift. The crib had a, like a childproof lock from underneath 
a lever you had to push them push up i didn't know that because i never mm-hmm. put my brother in the bed and i'm super short so i was like we have to get pito out of the bed and she goes she got up panicked she has a bata on which is like a really long shirt almost like a like a nightgown and she walks and then she smells the the fire and then she sees it when she goes into my room and she panics First thing she does is goes to the crib to get my brother out. I had broken the bars trying to get him out. So I I think I feel like I broke the crib in a way trying to get him out of there. Um, And then she starts screaming, we got to get everybody out. So um, I think that's when I went on autopilot after waking up my mom and then us running back into the room. I feel, well, I get teary because I feel like, I was no longer a 10-year-old kid. I was like an adult firefighter trying to get my family out. So I had to go to my sister's room. They were in their bathing suit because it's hot. it was hot in Florida. They uh, wrapped – I remember Natasha getting wrapped in a quilt and Jadira getting wrapped in like a, like a blankie, like what kids like to use. And they were they were like confused what was happening until we got to the hallway and they saw flames and they you can it's hard to breathe. You can smell fire, but it's it's hard to breathe. It's like really toxic air. And we're we're like pushing, but my mom is also like, I have to save some stuff. So I I was left in charge with my uncle to push us outside and to hug everybody. I was like hugging and we were shivering. It was so cold outside. And then I, I remember my mom got a pot in the kitchen. I hear clinging and she got a pot in the kitchen and she's trying to put water in the pot. And I don't know why I screamed is because I felt like don't, don't, don't go back in there. You know, like, I I feel like I would lose her if she goes back inside. Like we'll never see her again. So I was like, don't go back inside. Don't go back inside. She went in there with my uncle and they were like threw water on it and it got worse. It was so bad. The windows popped like, like the pressure, the fire got so big. It started like crumbling the house in a way. And uh, my sisters didn't really see the fire that much because it was in my room in the back corner of the house. And they're like screaming. Like every time we didn't see my mom, we're screaming because my dad is at work in the hospital and my mom didn't call the hospital. My mom called 911. And and it was it was early 90s where you kind of buy a really long phone cord on purpose so you can Mm. walk around the house. She was able to to pull it outside. Um, my mom was talking outside on the phone to 911 because it was so bad. And then my uncle was like, I'm going to try to get as much stuff as, as um, he can. And all he was there, my poor uncle, man, he was there from Puerto Rico visiting, but he was applying for a job at Citibank and, and he was looking for apartments. So unfortunately for him, he was his, he's like visiting us at the wrong time, but but in a blessing for us that there was a man in the house, not just me, trying to like wrangle everybody up. And then my mom yells at him. I remember she said, "You got to get the paperwork for the house." It was in a like an office kind of thing, and my dad used to hide it. 
my dad didn't want no one in the closet because that's where all the important stuff was. And my mom tells my uncle to go get it. And I was like, oh, my God, he's going to die because it's it's so far into the fire that he's not going to get out. I know where my mom's room was and it's the furthest ma- – the master bedroom was the furthest down the, the hallway, which is the worst because you're stuck in the hallway with the fire and the air and stuff. And somehow, man, he fucking did it. He did it. He like – he took a breath. He took his shirt off. <laughs> So that it wouldn't burn, you know, like so that his shirt wouldn't catch on fire. And he did this like and like he took a deep breath and we were like, oh, my God, we're never going to see him again. As kids, you're like a kid. And that's like superhero stuff. And anyway, they were like thanking me because I woke them up. I was like the alarm and I was like, you know, rallying people to get out. But I was only 10. So I did as much as I could. And my uncle came out with that luggage and I think he tripped on the way out too. Um, And my mom just hugged him and he started coughing and spitting out like black mucus. And then here comes the, like, I I don't know why that was only a couple of minutes. It felt like eternity. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh my God, he's going to save us. And as we moved further away from the house, it got colder and colder. Um, And we're just little kids, like in our underwear and like little shirts, like wrapped up in blankets, just watching the house burn down. And the the fire marshal came and like, I guess they thought like I was in shock and they started asking me all these questions. When did you see the fire? Where did it start? And I I, I'm really good with details since I was a kid. And I, I started telling them it came from like where you plug in the heater, you know, that's where it came. That's where it looked like it came from and it went up, but it was like a blue flame instead of a red flame. And they're already like, Oh, that that's an electrical fire. And I, I don't know. All I know is my house is gone. So I, I, I don't know how to answer them in any more detail than what I saw. But then my mom explained to them when she saw it, it was like a full blown fire. Cause I had opened the door and it, it gave it more like life or whatever. And then they were like, we can't believe you guys went back in the house. Like, why would you do that? And my mom was like, we just bought this house and all the paperwork is in, you know, unfortunately in their bedroom's closet. So, and they're like, who's this? And I was like, that's my brother. And now that's our uncle, you know, cause it's like, where's the husband? You know, my dad was at work mm-hmm. and then my dad shows up, man. And he was so devastated cause this happened and he wasn't there. And he's like, I'm so sorry, you guys. And it's like, you guys are all good. It's like, you guys are all alive. And and then my mom was like, yeah, thanks to Omar. She's like, if it wasn't for him, like, we all would have just burned while we slept, you know? Or I don't know what would have happened, but I know me and my brother would have been the first to go. Because that, that was to wake up while it's, like, happening and, like, to be able to act and react that quickly – it was like, I, I remember not feeling 10 years old. I remember like, I'm, I'm seeing the movie Backdraft with Kurt Russell, like that. I felt like I was in a movie. Mm. I had to act like I knew what I was doing or something bad was going to happen. And I just like, I was like on autopilot and my uncle was watching me and he's like, somehow you knew what to do. And I was like, I just, I just did what I felt had to be done, but I wasn't really thinking, which was really trippy. Like it was really trippy to just know how to act or react, but 
but not really think. Cause I think when you think you panic, you're like, who goes first? Like, wh- where should I go? Natasha and Jadira or to my mom, or do I try to go turn it off? You know, I probably would have burned myself trying to be a hero and like turn it off. So I think my role was get everybody out of here, you know, before somebody gets hurt. And, uh, I got awards. I got all these awards and I was in school. I was like this hero. I remember walking in like the principal walks me back into my class. Cause I had missed a couple of days of classes and there was a like, counseling that had to take place. And there was all these questions. And then, and then the, um, the, um, the house insurance company, like I was out of school for a couple of days. It was like all these, mm-hmm. you're not a celebrity, but you're getting all this attention and there's all this press and there's, you're in every newspaper in the city. You're on all of them. You're like, Oh my God. But it's, it's, it's for something you did good, but it was such a tragedy to see the photos. I didn't see the photos um, when they turned the fire off and there was like a photographer went there and like took photos. And I, I remember what used to be there. I remember where my Nintendo was and it's, it's just all melted ash. Like, Oh my God. I remember where my bed was. You can't, all you see is the Springs. The Springs was the only thing that survived because it was mm. metal. Everything was gone. The windows had shattered. So there was no windows. Um, and then the the front of the house had uh, bricks. So there's a facade of a house and then you walk through the and then you start to see that pieces of the house is go- is gone because it, it was exposed to the air because it, it burned through it, you know. And I, mm-hmm. I didn't see that because, I, I you know, we left and the house was still intact. So to see those photos, I, I just started crying like all our stuff is gone. Everything's gone. Like what, what the hell? Like, what do we do now? You know, you don't think of sponsors. You don't think of people that feel sorry for you that are going to donate. You just think you have nothing, like nothing. What you have on is all that you have and how, how long will it last? And then that's how I started my thing called footprints was Mm. to leave your mark is like, now I'm so blessed to do all these jobs like just the jobs I named off, the clothes and the the shoes, the accessories, the gifts that you get, the swag bags, you know, from Oprah to Madonna to the Spice Girls to Janet Jackson, they give you all this stuff. You first of all, you don't have a big enough place to keep it all. <laughs> and there are kids that, you know, they dream they dream, they dream of dancing good. And then dancing good enough to make a living out of it. So I go to the kids with these stories like like behind me, I have, look, the my poster from the movie Honey. And I have a radio and I have my, my shell toes that I used in the movie. And what I do is I collect that stuff and I give it away to kids. Um, I've gone to Madagascar. I've gone to Chile. After the earthquake, I've gone to um, – I raised money for Japan – um, after their tsunami. And what I do is I take all these gifts from tours and commercials and movies and I give it away, but I give it away with the story. And then people start to remember like, Oh my God, you wore that jacket in this film. And I go, yeah, it's yours now, you know? And it, it somehow gives them hope that they can do it too. Cause now they have Flips's jacket from the movie honey or flips his headspin hat from you got served. And it, it really, it's almost like um, 
you remember the red slippers from the wizard of Oz? Like she, mm. she, she they, they became magical and she could click three times and she can like travel back home. And there's something about the Hollywood, um, the, 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 I guess the Hollywood mentality or the imagination that Hollywood gives you that, that y- you can think that way. You can go to Madagascar or um, to we went to Johannesburg in Cape Town in Africa, and the kids did not have shoes. They were breaking mm. um, on the dirt, no linoleum, no padded floor, no wood, no cardboard, nothing. Just um, like nice. It, it was like you could tell that the dirt had been pounded on a lot to where it, it creates like a surface of its own and barefoot. Like if anything, sandals. And I'm like, oh, my God. But I'm thinking not naively, but I'm thinking if they do the moves I do with no shoes, they're going to hurt themselves. Their heel, mm. the ball of their foot, you know, their their toes are exposed. So if you're doing windmills and you just happen to clip your foot, that is that's painful with shoes on and socks mm. on, you know. So imagine them barefoot. So what I did was I went to, I've been doing footprints for a very long time, very, very long time. Um, And I went to the dancers and I said, hey, listen, I might sound crazy, but I do this thing called footprints. Do you guys have anything you want to give away? And a a couple of them are skeptical, like, was I trying to get free stuff? And I was like, why why would I need your shoes? First of all, I'm a size seven. You're a 10 and a half. I could never use your shoes. I would never want to use your socks or your underwear. No, thanks. But sometimes dancers have, you know, gear that like a hoodie. You don't really use it unless it's cold. Mm. Or um, you take a couple hats. Which one do you use the least or which one do you like the least? Um, and I, I asked the teacher, the elementary teacher, is it cool if we came as a group I'll bring my radio. We'll play some music. We'll do like a little show and we'll give away some stuff. And she was like, she started crying and she just never felt like people come on these, on these jobs and you do your job and you get paid for it and you leave and you come with the memory of, I performed in Johannesburg and Cape town and in Madagascar. That's the story. But then they came to see me perform and then the story ends there. But like, how do you connect to the culture and to the people and how do they have a story to tell once you leave, not you just have a story to tell once, you know? So yeah, the dancers were so awesome. And I'll admit, I went to the, to the hotel and I was like, you know, the, the, the little bottles that they always refill right in your room. Like every time they clean your room, if you've used like half the shampoo, they'll give you another bottle of shampoo. So I was like, hey, listen, I'm leaving in two days. I'm leaving in two days, but can you give me like three days worth of shampoo and conditioner? And the guy went to his manager and was like, this guy's specifically asking for three (laughs) days worth of stuff. And it's because I counted how many kids there were. And if each of us would get like two rounds of this stuff we could make, you know, the, you know, the shoe polishing kit that they have in the, in the bathroom, it has like a little bag that the little shoe mitt, it has like a little bag in it. So I put shampoo, conditioner, soap in the little thing, and then we would tie it. 
So everybody had like a little gift bag. It's from the hotel. It's free mm-hmm. for us. We get it every day. But for those kids, it was like, oh my God, we got gear. We got swag bags. We got, you know, to- the little toiletries, the little Q-tips, all that came in bags. It was really nice. Like it was a nice hotel. So everything was very well presented and we all just gave it away. And they were so they were so in awe. And then my luggage, one of the wheels was like, it was not broken, but it was like, it was harder to pull on one side. So you had to flip my luggage over and like drag it in just two wheels on the side. So I'm like, I'm going to get new luggage anyway. I'm going to put all the clothes in my luggage and I'll give the luggage away and let the teacher keep the luggage. So everything worked out. Like all the dancers Mm -hmm. gave whatever they wanted and the hotel washed it for us and they folded it. And it was so cool. It's like, it's like giving them brand new stuff to them. But then Mm -hmm. we all had a story because all of the dancers had, you know, different um, clothes with different stories. Like this dude is like, Oh, I used to dance on Broadway, you know? Oh, I used to do this. And then now you have it. So Mm -hmm. it was really cool. And I, I think that company now still does that because of me. They were like, we love this giving back thing and paying it forward. And it, they were skeptical. They were like, we thought Flips was going to keep the stuff or sell it on eBay. I was like, I'm not like that, dude. Like, it's for the kids. And anyway, mm-hmm. it, it left the footprint in both the people that did it, our dance team, and in the kids. So I call it Footprints Leave Your Mark. And it it, it always does, you know. I love that. I love that so much, you know, like the whole – the whole ethos behind what you're doing and how you're paying it forward and, you know, from you've taken pain and you've turned it into purpose, you know, like that that is absolutely incredible. And now, you know, there's going to be kids out there that are going to be the next flips basically because of what you've done and that's just absolutely incredible. And I'm sure that you know some of them already are going to be destined for big things. Yeah. There was a kid that I met um I want to say he was either seven or eight years old. Um, his name is Sonny. And I met him. We got flown out to represent the United States of America in a, it's called the UK B-Boy Championships. And he looked at us and he's like, aren't you guys in Step Up? And I was like, yeah, that's <laughs> Luigi. That's Cloud. Like we came, I kid you not, that summer we shot the same summer that um, Michael Jackson passed away. We shot Step Up 3D. Um, with John Chu in New York. And then I got the call, do you guys want to represent the U.S.? Because we had won this other competition. And I said, yes. When are the dates? And they were like, oh, the dates are in October. I was like, oh, no. When are we done filming? So I had to ask production, when are we done? When are we wrapped? Like, when when can we take another job? So we went from, like, the movie set to uh, the U.K. in London and uh, Brixbit, Brixbin. Brixton, Brixton. Um, and uh, the kids were like j- just starstruck that the guys from the movie are here to battle. And when I watched him battle in the kids division, I was like, dude, you're going to be you're going to be big. I've seen a lot of kids like I was a kid at one time. And so I've seen like the trajectory of how hard you practice and where your skill set is and your moves. Um, if you're going to hurt yourself, I can already tell it, oh, he's landing those air flares really bad. Or, you know, he's holding his freezes to he's straining his um, upper body or his rotator cuffs are going to go at one point. I've been around so long that you can kind of tell. But I was like, this kid's style 
so different and so crazy. And I was like, who taught you? And he's like, I just watch my friends. Right. And then he's afraid of like, he's, he's like me. He was like afraid of showing the world how good he is or how bad the world might think he is because it feels weird at, 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 in the beginning, it feels weird to expose your talent because you don't feel like you're good until you battle and you win and, or you compare yourself to someone I go, yo, keep it up, bro. You're going to be nasty. You're going to be so nasty. He's now an Olympic hopeful for the UK, for the Olympics. And I was like, he'll, he always remains like, oh my God, flips, flips, you know? And it, 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 it's those times where those kids never, they never thought they'll meet you in real life. They battle you and their crew lost against us. Soul Mavericks was the first crew that we battled that we beat to continue to go to the semifinals and quarterfinals and finals. And they were, rep- it was his crew representing, but he was just like, you know, like, like this, the fact that it was us coming at him, you know, like, Oh my God, these guys are from the movies and they're here in real life. But he never quit. He never stopped. I think in his mind, he's like, it flips and these guys think I'm good. I must be good. So whatever I'm doing, I'm going to continue mm-hmm. to do it. Now he's winning. He's winning. It took him, I don't know, 10 years or whatever, but, but he's now like catapulted himself into Olympic level, like Olympic athlete level where he was just battling us as a beginner, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, the tables turn because now I, I'm too old to compete in the Olympics. So now I'm judging, right? So now I'm judging a kid that couldn't beat me in my prime, but I couldn't even match him right now. I'm like, oh my God, you got so good, dude. You're, you're like next level, you know? And it, it's very humbling for me. I'm sure it's for him. It's like, wow, I didn't really know I would get this good. I go, go back and look at the UK champs battle when we beat your team first round. It, I mean, for him, he's probably like, oh, I sucked back then. I wasn't any good. <laughs> but I was like, I saw something in him that he's able to do like high level, high risk moves with very, very little to no mistakes. And like not when you crash, it's pretty painful when you're doing these moves at, at a high mm-hmm. caliber and you crash, you could hurt yourself really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was doing it in a way where his mistake, he was able to um, almost like clean it up. And I was like, Ooh, that's really good. If you learn to do that as a dancer, your, your risk is very low. If you can clean up your moves, if you're just trying moves to, you know, just, just for the hell of it and you crash and burn, it hurts and you're going to end up in the emergency room or you're going to need surgery after some point. Um, you're speaking to like, I'm like Humpty Dumpty. I've had five. <laughs> I was wondering that. <laughs> surgeries. Yeah. I have photos too of my, like really bad, like my appendix burst. I was doing a move that's called the jackhammer where you're like on the side and you kind of have to st- stab your body, but push it up at the same time as you're gaining momentum. And I could do it with one yeah. hand and my organs just had enough. They didn't have anywhere to shift. And my appendix burst. Um, wow. I, I had my bowel reconstructed. I had broken jaw. I had, I don't know if you can see it, but look at, yeah, I fractured my skull right here. That's yes. why my eye is a little bit dropped. Yeah. I've had so many surgeries like, too many. I had cysts from doing flares. Look at the cysts in my hands. Cartilage buildup. You see it? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's it's all from the pressure of doing the same move so many times for so many years. Your body um, goes into like 
um, what is it, uh, like a fight or flight kind of mode. But mm-hmm. instead of having like carpal tunnel, my body was able to re- resist all of the weight. And instead of having like broken wrists, I just have cysts from all the pre- taking all the pressure. But um, yeah. Oh, two hernia surgeries, one on each side. Yeah, bad. Oh. So I tell these kids that too. Like if I see oh, them doing a move wrong, I, I go, listen, I know that you're muscling it out to look cool. But look what happened to me. And they're like, oh, yeah. my God. And <laughs> you you kind of save their life in a way by just showing them the – they're called battle scars. You show them the battle scars and you tell them what not to do or or a, a better way or a safer way to practice some of that stuff. Anyway. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> now, uh, I could go on forever. It's like, there's so I many can... stories in 30 years and so many avenues we could take. I know. You know? I know, and I could I could talk to you all day, and I, I reckon one day we will. But uh, look, if yeah. people want to find out more about you and uh, mm-hmm. actually find out where to get in touch with you and learn more about what you've done and also what you've got coming up, where can they go? Where can they go? Um, I would say Instagram. I'm really good on Instagram. I, I find it easy and fun. On Instagram, I'm Ivan Flips Velez. That's I V A N F L I P Z V E L E Z. And I try to have that same um, handle across everything. Mm-hmm. So when it was Twitter, now it's now it's called X. But um, on Twitter, I'm the same Ivan Flips Velez. On Facebook, I'm the same Ivan Flips Velez. On TikTok, I'm the same, Ivan Flips Velez. Um, and what I do is if I post something on Instagram or on any of those platforms, um, I just do the same post in all of them so that it, it's kind of – I don't try to change it up too much because I, I don't have that much time on my hands. But, <laughs> None of us do. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, like if I'll do like a head spin in a, in a video and I post the video, I'll post it on all the platforms. And I have like different – I don't know why, but yeah, you tend to have a different following on different platforms. Um, That's right. Yeah. I have like a bit of a older crowd or like my graduate class um, is more on Facebook where more of the kids that I teach are on Instagram. And then uh, a lot of people from overseas are on TikTok. It's so trippy, but if you don't post, then, you know, they feel like you're forgetting about them. So I try to post on all those platforms Mm -hmm. and try to keep up, let everybody, um, Stay inspired, you know? And like I say, see the invisible, do the impossible. (laughs) Exactly right. Now, Flips, I've got the last big question for you. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? Oh, the change that I'd like to see? It it has to do with footprints. Um, It's We have a saying in breaking called each one, teach one. That's your responsibility. Mm. Right. So if you take on the role of a B-boy and you take upon the culture of hip hop, which is a trillion dollar industry, you have to teach someone else who is wanting to be on that same road, on that same path. You have to teach them and give them all of the knowledge, whether that's the same book you read, whether that's the same movie you watched. Whether, you know, whether it's the same jacket you wore to, to win your battle and you, you felt like. Um, it made a change in your life. You have to f- fulfill like that scripture and it's called each one, teach one. And it's, it's kind of like what footprints is, is mm. if you feel like 
the the Adidas shell toe helped you become the best breaker in the world. Whenever you give something away, give away an Adidas shell toe and let someone else feel what that feels like. If 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 each person can change the life of one person, and but then that ripples, right? It actually grows. It doesn't just become one, right? Mm-hmm. So if I, yeah, if I inspired you and then you get inspired and you want to inspire someone else, I've now inspired two people because you, you passed the torch. Does that, does that make sense? So as the ripple keeps going, it'll yeah. be millions upon millions, like, like, like the the Spartan 300, if they inspire, let's say that's the breaking community, right? If if all of the Olympic athletes are in the hundreds and they're the best in the world and then the world sees them at the billions of people that are on this earth and then they just inspire one and it becomes like 600, but then that doubles and doubles and doubles and doubles. By the next Olympics, there would be so many people that are uh, not lacking knowledge of the culture, the dance. So I feel like everyone should do that Um, from social media. I don't know much or I'm not that good at social media. So if one of these little kids I teach and they have 125,000 followers, teach me how to do that. And I'll Mm -hmm. teach you how to do this. It's like each one teach one. Yeah. Like a bartering system, but, but as long as it's positive, it's not for financial gain it's not, you know, to, to use it in a bad light. I think it would, the ripple would go further. The ripple stops once it's not done out of love, out of compassion. If it's not done out of, uh, if it's done with alternative motives, it loses momentum. Mm-hmm. Just like hip hop did when it was like, it used to be peace, unity, love, and having fun. It used to be B-boys, B-girls, graffiti artists, DJs. It used to be the, all the elements of hip hop were raised together and started together. And now there's like rap (laughs) graffiti is illegal, right? Mm. DJs are using Serato, Mm. like stuff like that, um, (laughs) where you see now that it's used for financial gain or, or for negativity, or it's seen in a bad light. And then, and then it's not, but now breaking is going to the Olympics. Now, you know, maybe rappers now want to rap for the Olympics or they're going to do videos. So we should always lift each other up just because breaking is going to the Olympics. Doesn't mean that like uh, 50 cent couldn't do a video on <laughs> B boys and B girls and take it back to the old school. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everyone should be um, elevating at the same time. If we're tapped into the same frequency and we're all listening to the same thing and it's inspiring us at the same time, we just have to do our part to continue to uplift that. So I think that breaking now, it's its getting such a great, it's getting such a good, um, and it's been years, it's been 40 years since breaking got good um, press, since Beach Street and, you know, they did the Olympics in 84, um, Lionel Richie closed the Olympics, Um with all night long and used a bunch of breakers, but then the negative stuff started coming out where some of the breakers were in gangs and, and mm. some of the battles ended up in, in physical altercations. And you're like, Oh no, the moment that started happening, right. Oh, breaking is gang related. It dies mm. out. It's like mm. that negativity or the lack of love and compassion. Some people don't understand that uh, breakers were getting arrested in malls. As they would have a music store like Virgin Records at the mall. They're playing a hip hop song 
like KRS-One, right? And people are breaking. Like, that's what mm-hmm. happens. Yeah. Breaking is the physical form, right? The physical adaptation of of the lyrics, of the music. It, it's, it's dancing. It's not gang-related. Nobody's fighting. Nobody's mm-hmm. bleeding. It's just one team against another having a conversation as to who's best, who's got better moves, or who studied longer, or who's the master over the student. Um, and it's misunderstood and they call the cops and the cops show up with guns and you're like, what is happening? These kids are just breaking. They're just dancing in the mall. So misunderstanding and lack of knowledge um, is, is, is just as bad as ignorance. It's just as bad because it, it causes everything people have worked for to just die out. And then it becomes this uphill battle to be like, what's going to happen with breaking 40 years mm-hmm. later now it's Olympics. So it's up to us to keep that flame and that torch alive in a positive way. So yeah, each one, teach one and uh, footprints. You want your footprint to be left. Um, and, and you you want people to see your footprint and also you want to leave your mark. So mm. yeah, be, be like the best version of yourself, the best, not d- don't go showing up like you're already the best. Cause there is no best. And there's no one to really battle but yourself because mm-hmm. in real life, if you go train, if you go train, if you watch somebody battle and you you add all you, you analyze all of their moves and you get all of their data, how old are they, how long can they go, blah, 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 you study them, right? All you're going to do is go to the lab, what we call the lab, or go train mm-hmm. to beat this person who you thought was the best. But then now someone already got better than that person. By the time you show up to the jam to beat that person, there's this person from Berlin, Germany, that's better than them that you didn't see. So there is no best. The best is the best version of yourself. And that's all that you can battle. You're going to battle with that person every day. Like Michael Jackson's man in the mirror, like look at yourself in the mirror. Can you be a better person today? Can you help today? Uh, is there something you can do to make the world uh, a better place? And the truth is we all can. We just have to do it. We just exactly. have to do it. Just, it's, just it's, like- it's hard to wake up every day like, I'm going to save the world. Just do your part. <laughs> well, that's it. We've all just got to do our bit, don't we? And, you know, I yeah. think conversations like this are, are really important because it helps change the perception, I guess, of of what this dancing's all about and and what it can actually do, you know. Look at the career that you you're having because of this, and what other kids are gonna you know do in their future. Um, it is, and you know, perception is a wonderful thing. So I think yes, this is this is why we needed to speak to you today, Flips. And um, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the ethical evolution. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's growing every day with great content and highlights you may not have heard on the podcast. In addition, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify or Apple and why not leave a five-star review? If you're not following me on social media, you can find me at Ethical Change Agency on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook and YouTube and at DJ Bindi on TikTok and Instagram.
If you're interested in diving deeper into the ethical evolution with me, I've created a membership program that allows me to bring you more in-depth, exclusive content without relying on paid ads. My goal is to deliver members way more value than the cost of the subscription. Benefits include Ask Me Anything episodes. I've interviewed hundreds of people from around the world, so imagine what you could ask. Access exclusive bonus content only for members that focuses on the downloads I get through my conversations that include actionable tips. Support Ethical Change Agency and the Ethical Evolution podcast on its mission to amplify change makers who make the world a better place. Access to global connections who can help you make greater impact in the world. Meditate with me and discounted spiritual coaching or podcast consulting with me at 15% off. That value alone pays for your membership. For only $7 a month or $70 a year, you can access all these benefits of an Ethical Evolution Emergence membership. If you want to learn more and access these benefits, head on over to ethicalchangeagency.com. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. DC, I host the rock podcast Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the Interviews. Electric Acid. Electric Acid. 